Good morning. You have no idea how great you look to me. It's good to be back. We sure enjoyed the trip, but man, I have said it. Other guys have said it. Women have said it. We are blessed. We are blessed. And I don't simply speak in terms of being Americans and having the the pleasure of the prosperity that we enjoy. But I'm talking about this, this group of people, this number of people assembled to worship the Lord. You don't find that in very many places in the world anymore. And I sure am glad to be able to come back home to you and to this. It's, it's a marvel. By the way, did you notice that was Matthew reading Matthew? And I want to thank Doc for the introduction because he used it. I, we didn't collaborate on this. We're not that smart. But he started with the same passage I'm starting my lesson with this morning. So perhaps there is something to this idea that the Holy Spirit is living and active and working in us. So let's talk about love. But first, I want to give you just a taste because I, I, I didn't have time. We got in late Friday night and I don't have time and I'm not fast enough to put together a lesson on any of the places we've been. But I wanted to let you see a couple of pictures and give you a taste, hopefully, of, of what is coming. This is the Temple of Apollo in the city of Corinth. And you're looking at the temple from the marketplace. And you may remember that in Corinthians, Paul talked about uh, eat whatever is sold in the shambles in the marketplace without asking where it came from. Because it may have been sacrificed in a place like that temple right there. And you're thinking, well, Christian can't eat things sacrificed to idol gods. Well, he said, you know, we know an idol's nothing, so, so don't worry about it. Don't ask any questions for conscience sake. That's how things kind of come together. And it's amazing to me how many of these old ruins are still there. It's as if God is keeping them there as a testament to this is the way it was. And this is what your brothers faced when they came to a certain place to preach the gospel. This one shot from Corinth. This one. You're looking at the Acropolis, the place that is above the city. That's what an Acropolis means. And up on the Acropolis were more temples to idol gods. But you're looking at the Acropolis from Mars Hill. What happened on Mars Hill? That's where Paul, having seen the images of the idols, was so upset that when he found the one image that they had created to the unknown God, he said, that's the one I want to talk to you about. And that's in Acts chapter 17. You ever want to read about Paul being in Athens and being up on Mars Hill, talking with those who were interested about the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, last Sunday, no, Sunday before last, the first Sunday we were gone, and my mind is, a well, it's worse than it usually is. But we worshiped with the church in Athens tiny little group but a faithful group and it was very encouraging to see them there uh, the guy that got up and did announcements and i think he also led no no he another guy led singing but but the guy that i was first introduced to was waiting in the parking lot to welcome anybody who came was from iran he's an iranian but he's a member of the lord's kingdom reminded me of the revelation where it says and i saw a multitude that no man could number from all nations and peoples and tongues it's it's just what you see there. So that's in Athens. And here's the island of Patmos. Do you remember how the island of Patmos figures in uh, the New Testament? 
This is where John was exiled to. The government of Rome was persecuting Christians. And instead of putting Paul in prison or putting him to death, he was sent to this island, small island in the Mediterranean. And this was where he received from Jesus Christ the revelation which he wrote down. And there's some conjecture over whether or not he wrote it while he was on the island, but at any rate, this is where he received it. That's what he says in the beginning of the revelation. He received it there. And if you see those, those two white spots highest up on the mountain, one of those, I believe it's the one to the right, as you're looking at it, is the place where is a cave that they say John abided. He lived there uh, while he was on Patmos. Who knows? A lot of things like this uh, can't necessarily be confirmed, but at least this is the island, so it had to be somewhere in the area. It's not a big island at all. When they put him on Patmos, they knew that's probably where he's going to stay because there wasn't any reason for anybody else to come there. Guess what that is? Well, you don't have to, do you? Because I wrote it down. The theater in Ephesus. Down to the right and out of the picture is the marquee that says the Apostle Paul, one night only. (laughs) You know what happened here if you've read about Paul's experience in Ephesus. This is where for two hours people stood up and they cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. For two hours they did that. Why did they do that? Because Paul's preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ was so powerfully turning people away from idolatry that this is how they responded. Two hours. This is where it happened. This is the place. We were there. We saw it. We stood there. It was amazing. And I'm so glad to have been able to go on this trip. So thankful for this, this blessing of God. And I hope to, in some small way, make it a blessing to you as well. And I, I have to say this. Not once, not once on this trip did I ever think there was any need to worry about what was going on here. Because we have leadership here that takes care of things. And we've got responsible people at at the helm, if you will, if you want to say it that way. And I never even thought one time, wow, I wonder what's going on back home. I hope everything's okay. And it was. It always is. Lord's blessing on us. Well, those are just a few pictures I think that's the last one. So let's talk about the love of God this morning. Let's start in this text in Matthew 5. I know that's an odd transition. We're talking about pictures of places in the Mediterranean where the gospel was preached. But this gospel that was preached by Paul and Silas and Barnabas and the other apostles and ministers of the gospel is the gospel of love. And as Doc said when he was up here, he alluded to the idea, uh, what the world needs now is love. Wouldn't that make a great song? (laughs) It's the absolute truth. It's always been that way and it'll always be that way. But if the world needs love, where is it going to find love except in God's people. We talk about these kinds of things and we think, oh, somewhere out there they'll find this or they'll get that. No, it's us. We are the preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the lovers who love as God taught us to love. We are the lights. We are the cities on hills. We are the salt. It's you and it's me. 
And those are things that Jesus said in this sermon. But here, let's go back to it. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. You've heard it a couple of times this morning, but I want us to go back to it, read it again, and think about some of the things that it says with this idea of love. Because we're talking about, I struggle for a a name, uh, for lack of something better. I'll call it actual love. This, this lesson is about actual love. What does the word actual have in it but act? We're not talking about a love that is just some feeling you have in your heart. We're talking about love that acts, love that does something, love that makes a difference. And this world needs people who will make differences. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power, but it's got to be preached, as Paul said, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, in love. Preaching the truth in love. And you wonder where he got it? You don't wonder. You know he got it from Jesus. Jesus' words here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Pray for those who persecute you. So that... You may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, man, listen to this. Listen to the wisdom in what he says here. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. In other words, how are you different from anybody else if you love those who love you? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, in English, we struggle a little bit with that word perfect because in English, what does it mean? It means absolutely flawless. Can you tell me? Anything in this world that's absolutely flawless, besides the word of the Lord, everything is flawed in this world. That's the nature of this world. You and I are flawed. But this word here is the Greek word teleos, and it does not mean what it's come to mean in our English vernacular. It doesn't mean flawless. It simply means complete. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be complete, like my heavenly father is complete, like your heavenly father is complete, here's what you do to accomplish that. You love your enemies. Now, who among us doesn't understand what he said? It's easy to understand what he said. It's easy to accept the idea and the concept But when you're on the street and you run into somebody that doesn't like you, when things come to your ears that somebody said about you, it's it's a challenge, is it not? To love some people? I know not you. There's no challenge in loving you. You're easy. Jesus is talking about enemies. And he mentions two groups of people here, by the way. Who did he mention? Tax collectors. And who else? Oklahomans. 
Now, yeah, I know we're laughing at that, but it's, it's true because we are Gentiles. Did he say that? Did he, did he throw out the idea of tax collectors and Gentiles because he really thought tax collectors were lousy people? And every time I say lousy, I, I shouldn't say lousy. You remember that episode of, uh, of Lucille Ball where they were going to a, somebody to teach them how to talk correctly, how to speak perfectly? And the first thing he said was, now listen, there's the girls, there's, there's two words I don't want you to ever use. One's swell and the other one's lousy. And they said, okay, what are they? <laughs> it's like, you older guys, you'll have to explain that to the kids later. The generation we're trying to support. But, but I thought that was funny. But, but lousy, what, what was I talking about now? I got myself off track. We're, we're talking about being perfect as, as God is perfect. And this makes us complete. Tax collectors were looked upon as lousy. Gentiles were looked upon as lousy. Jesus was simply using that because, in fact, what he was actually teaching them was, who do you love? We love tax collectors. Can you think of anybody worse than a tax collector? No, I can't think of any worse than a tax collector. Collecting taxes for the Romans, that's, that's what a Jewish person would do to get a job from the Romans and the Jews despised Generally speaking, they despised Jewish people who collected taxes for the Romans. And so when he says this, he knows what people are thinking about tax collectors. And what's he saying they need to do to tax collectors? Love them. And he's saying, if you don't love tax collectors just like you love everybody else, then you're no different from anybody else. If you're going to love like Jesus teaches us to love, we're going to have to to make some radical changes in the way we typically see things in the world. And Gentiles. All oh, the Jews thought the Gentiles were second rate or worse. So he throws out Gentiles. You're going to have to love even Gentiles. Yeah, that's right. People who aren't in your circle. Isn't it interesting we talk about relationships like that? People in our circle. As if there was really a, a circle. What do we mean when we say circle? What we really mean when we say circle, we talk about people in our circle, is people that we're connected to. One of the most beautiful things I think we do is when there is a baptism, as soon as they get out of the water, somebody will say, well, let's, let's circle up and have a prayer. And we'll do it, usually right here, right down here. And I don't, if you've ever, ever been a part of that, one of the things you notice is you can't circle up down here. There's too much stuff in the way. There's, there's stairs and there's pews and it's just an awkward place. And when you get a bunch of people down here, you, you can't really make a circle. But I've seen some pretty big circles and they just kind of weave in and out the pews. But what makes it a circle? It's the connectedness. We hold hands. And we might sing a couple songs and, and we'll have a prayer for that one who has just come into the kingdom, just come into the saving blood of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. That's a circle. Who needs to be in our circle? Everybody. Good morning. You have no idea how great you look to me. It's good to be back. We sure enjoyed the trip, but man, I have said it. Other guys have said it. Women have said it. We are blessed. We are blessed. 
And I don't simply speak in terms of being Americans and having the, the pleasure of the prosperity that we enjoy. But I'm talking about this, this group of people, this number of people assembled to worship the Lord. You don't find that in very many places in the world anymore. And I sure am glad to be able to come back home to you and to this. It's, it's a marvel. By the way, did you notice that was Matthew reading Matthew? And I want to thank Doc for the introduction because he used it. We didn't collaborate on this. We're not that smart. But he started with the same passage I'm starting my lesson with this morning. So perhaps there is something to this idea that the Holy Spirit is living and active and working in us. So let's talk about love. But first, I want to give you just a taste because I, I, I didn't have time. We got in late Friday night and I don't have time and I'm not fast enough to put together a lesson on any of the places we've been, but I wanted to let you see a couple of pictures and give you a taste, hopefully, of of what is coming. This is the Temple of Apollo in the city of Corinth. And you're looking at the temple from the marketplace. And you may remember that in Corinthians, Paul talked about uh, eat whatever is sold in the shambles in the marketplace without asking where it came from. Because it may have been sacrificed in a place like that temple right there. And you're thinking, well, Christian can't eat things sacrificed to idol gods. Well, you, see, you know, we know an idol's nothing, so, so don't worry about it. Don't ask any questions for conscience sake. That's how things kind of come together. And it's amazing to me how many of these old ruins are still there. It's as if God is keeping them there as a testament to this is the way it was. And this is what your brothers faced when they came to a certain place to preach the gospel. This one shot from Corinth. This one. You're looking at the Acropolis, the place that is above the city. That's what an Acropolis means. And upon the Acropolis were more temples to idol gods. But you're looking at the Acropolis from Mars Hill. What happened on Mars Hill? That's where Paul, having seen the images of the idols, was so upset That when he found the one image that they had created to the unknown God, he said, that's the one I want to talk to you about. And that's in Acts chapter 17. You ever want to read about Paul being in Athens and being up on Mars Hill, talking with those who were interested about the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, last Sunday, no, Sunday before last, the first Sunday we were gone, and my mind is a, well, it's worse than it usually is. But we worshiped with the church in Athens tiny little group but a faithful group and it was very encouraging to see them there uh, the guy that got up and did announcements and i think he also led no no he, he another guy led singing but but the guy that i was first introduced to was waiting in the parking lot to welcome anybody who came was from iran he's an iranian but he's a member of the lord's kingdom reminded me of the revelation where it says and i saw a multitude that no man could number from all nations and peoples and tongues it's It's just what you see there. So that's in Athens. And here's the island of Patmos. Do you remember how the island of Patmos figures in uh, the New Testament? This is where John was exiled to. The government of Rome was persecuting Christians. And instead of uh, putting Paul in prison or putting him to death, he was sent to this island, small island in the Mediterranean. And this was where he received from Jesus Christ the revelation, which he wrote down. And there's some 
conjecture over whether or not he wrote it while he was on the island, but at any rate, this is where he received it. That's what he says in the beginning of the Revelation. He received it there. And if you see those, those two white spots highest up on the mountain, one of those, I believe it's the one to the right, as you're looking at it, is the place where is a cave that they say John abided. He lived there uh, while he was on Patmos. Who knows? A lot of things like this uh, can't necessarily be confirmed. But at least this is the island, so it had to be somewhere in the area. It's not a big island at all. When they put him on Patmos, they knew that's probably where he's going to stay because there wasn't any reason for anybody else to come there. Guess what that is? Well, you don't have to, do you? Because I wrote it down. The theater in Ephesus. Down to the right and out of the picture is the marquee that says the Apostle Paul, one night only. (laughs) You know what happened here if you've read about Paul's experience in Ephesus. This is where for two hours... People stood up and they cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. For two hours they did that. Why did they do that? Because Paul's preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ was so powerfully turning people away from idolatry that this is how they responded. Two hours. This is where it happened. This is the place. We were there. We saw it. We stood there. It was amazing. And I'm so glad to have been able to go on this trip. So thankful for this, this blessing of God. And I hope to, in some small way, make it a blessing to you as well. And I, I have to say this, not once, not once on this trip did I ever think there was any need to worry about what was going on here. Because we have leadership here that takes care of things. And we've got responsible people at, at the helm, if you will, if you want to say it that way. And I never even thought one time, wow, I wonder what's going on back home. I hope everything's okay. And it was. It always is. Lord's blessing on us. Well, those are just a few pictures. I think that's the last one. So let's talk about the love of God this morning. Let's start in this text in Matthew 5. I know that's an odd transition. We're talking about pictures of places in the Mediterranean where the gospel was preached. But this gospel that was preached by Paul and Silas and Barnabas... And the other apostles and ministers of the gospel is the gospel of love. And as Doc said when he was up here, he alluded to the idea, uh, what the world needs now is love. Wouldn't that make a great song? (laughs) It's the absolute truth. It's always been that way and it'll always be that way. But if the world needs love, where is it going to find love except in God's people. We talk about these kinds of things and we think, oh, somewhere out there they'll find this and they'll get that. No, it's us. We are the preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the lovers who love as God taught us to love. We are the lights. We are the cities on hills. We are the salt. It's you and it's me. And those are things that Jesus said in this sermon. But here, let's go back to it. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. You've heard it a couple of times this morning, but I want us to go back to it, read it again, and think about some of the things that it says with this idea of love. Because we're talking about, I I struggle for a a name, uh, for lack of something better. 
I'll call it actual love. This, this lesson is about actual love. What does the word actual have in it but act? We're not talking about a love that's just some feeling you have in your heart. We're talking about love that acts, love that does something, love that makes a difference. And this world needs people who will make differences. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power, but it's got to be preached, as Paul said, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, in love. Preaching the truth in love. And you wonder where he got it? You don't wonder. You know he got it from Jesus. Jesus' words here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, man, listen to this. Listen to the wisdom in what he says here. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. In other words, how are you different from anybody else if you love those who love you? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, in English, we struggle a little bit with that word perfect because in English, what does it mean? It means absolutely flawless. Can you tell me? Anything in this world that's absolutely flawless, besides the word of the Lord, everything is flawed in this world. That's the nature of this world. You and I are flawed. But this word here is the Greek word teleos, and it does not mean what it's come to mean in our English vernacular. It doesn't mean flawless. It simply means complete. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to be complete, like my heavenly father is complete, like your heavenly father is complete, here's what you do to accomplish that. You love your enemies. Now, who among us doesn't understand what he said? It's easy to understand what he said. It's easy to accept the idea and the concept but when you're on the street and you run into somebody that doesn't like you, when things come to your ears that somebody said about you, it's, it's a challenge, is it not? To love some people? I know not you. There's no challenge in loving you. You're easy. Jesus was talking about enemies. And he mentions two groups of people here, by the way. Who did he mention? Tax collectors. And who else? Oklahomans. <laughs> now, yeah, I know we're laughing at that, but it's, it's true because we are Gentiles. Did he say that? Did he, did he throw out the idea of tax collectors and Gentiles because he really thought tax collectors were lousy people? And every time I say lousy, I, I shouldn't say lousy. You remember that episode of, uh, of Lucille Ball where they were going to a, somebody to teach them how to talk correctly? 
how to speak perfectly. And the first thing he said was, now listen, there's the girls, there's, there's two words I don't want you to ever use. One's swell and the other one's lousy. And they said, okay, what are they? You older guys, you'll have to explain that to the kids later, the generation we're trying to support. But, but I thought that was funny. But, but lousy, what, what was I talking about now? I got myself off track. We're, we're talking about being perfect as, as God is perfect. And this makes us complete. Tax collectors were looked upon as lousy. Gentiles were looked upon as lousy. Jesus was simply using that because, in fact, what he was actually teaching them was Who do you love? We love tax collectors. Can you think of anybody worse than a tax collector? No, I can't think of any worse than a tax collector. Collecting taxes for the Romans. That's that's what a Jewish person would do to get a job from the Romans. And the Jews despised, generally speaking, they despised Jewish people who collected taxes for the Romans. And so when he says this, he knows what people are thinking about tax collectors. And what's he saying they need to do to tax collectors? Love them. And he's saying, if you don't love the tax collectors just like you love everybody else, then you're no different from anybody else. If you're going to love like Jesus teaches us to love, we're going to have to make some radical changes in the way we typically see things in the world. And Gentiles. Oh, the Jews thought the Gentiles were second rate or worse. So he throws out Gentiles. You're going to have to love even Gentiles. Yeah, that's right. People who aren't in your circle. Isn't it interesting we talk about relationships like that? People in our circle. As if there was really a, a circle. What do we mean when we say circle? What we really mean when we say circle, we talk about people in our circle as people that we're connected to. One of those beautiful things I think we do is when there is a baptism, as soon as they get out of the water, somebody will say, well, let's, let's circle up and have a prayer. And we'll do it, usually right here, right down here. And I don't, if you've ever, ever been a part of that, one of the things you notice is you can't circle up down here. There's too much stuff in the way. There's, there's stairs and there's pews and it's just an awkward place. And when you get a bunch of people down here, you you can't really make a circle. But I've seen some pretty big circles. And they just kind of weave in and out the pews. But what makes it a circle? It's the connectedness. We hold hands. And we might sing a couple songs and, and we'll have a prayer for that one who has just come into the kingdom. Just come into the saving blood of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. That's a circle. Who needs to be in our circle? Everybody. Everybody needs to be in our circle. We go out in the world and we look at people, and I don't know if you're like me, I look at somebody with a nice big shiny truck and I think, oh man, I don't have a nice big shiny truck. How come that guy gets a nice big shiny truck? What should I be thinking about that nice big shiny truck? I should be saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you from from down here. I thank you on high that this fellow has a nice, big, shiny truck. Does that sound silly? I hope it doesn't sound silly. You and I ought to be grateful for the blessings that God gives to anybody. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Love your enemies. What does that mean? Seek your enemies' highest good. 
Be happy when something good happens to somebody else. Amen? What does Paul write in the letter to the church at Rome? Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Why? Because that's what love does. And love, I I found this interesting. James said something and then John said something. And well, let's read from James first. James chapter 2. James is is a marvelous letter. As if the rest of them aren't. But James says this. This is so practical and applicable. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Mike was talking about this in class this morning. The the conflict, the controversy that some folks have over whether or not we're saved by our works or saved by our faith. Well, there shouldn't be any controversy. We're saved by our faith. We really are. But James is here making the point, it's not faith only. It's a faith that is perfected. By the way, what does perfected mean? Complete. A faith that is perfected, that is completed by works. You follow through. Oh, I remember the coaches I had talking about following through. You know how that works. You're up to the plate. And I played back in the day when you had to first look and make sure your trademark was up because they used to make bats out of wood. Did you all know that? They used to make ball bats out of wood. Back in the day. And the pitcher would throw the pitch. And I would swing. And the coach would say, follow through, Kessler. All right. That just means you let your swing come all the way around. Just like a golfer. You watch a golfer golf? The good ones. You know, because the ball's way down there. And you can, you can swing around like that, and you'll hit the ball. Well, that's the idea. Not if you've watched me golf. But you hit that ball, and what do you do? You don't stop there. You, you follow on through. And that's what faith and works is all about. You're following through on your faith. And that's what James is talking about. Here's an example of how to do that, James says. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? What kind of a question did he just ask? We call it rhetorical. What's a rhetorical question? That's one where you already know the answer. He's just asking to make a point. What use is it to say to somebody who is in need, well, I'll, I'll pray for you. You be warmed and filled. You go on your way. And he said, that doesn't do any good at all. 